My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys could join us this morning. I am excited about getting into kind of the meat of Mark chapter 14. Uh, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're going to take this one half and one half. So we'll do the reading, the first half of Mark 14, and then we'll transition and study the second half of Mark 14. There's not a natural like, chronological break in the middle. It just This is where we picked for ease of use. Um, but I do want to start with the question, you know, what do we... What do we ask every week, uh, and what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? I'm not used to wearing this jersey, so... You're noticing me do this, right? Yeah, okay. I'm not uncomfortable at all. It's just I'm not used to wearing this jersey. So. But there's a reason for it. So we'll get to that. It's a stretch, but there's a reason. Dave's like, there's always a stretch, Jim. <laughs> it's always a stretch. <laughs> so what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Let's take a read through the first half of Mark chapter 14. So we'll read the first 31, I think, verses, right? Yep. And then uh, we'll come back and we'll start this first section. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll get through the first section, this plot to kill Jesus, and then we'll start the second one. Um, and the transition between the two is where we will spend a big chunk of our time uh, this morning. So let's read Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? 
And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread in the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If, you must, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. You ever find it odd reading a portion of scripture and you know what's going to happen next? And you go, you shouldn't have doubled down on that. Like, that just wasn't a really wise move there, you know? And then, and then we take a moment and look back in our lives and go, you know, right there, I shouldn't have doubled down on that. That really wasn't a why. We see that, you know, we typically do the same stuff. So we're starting Mark chapter 14 uh, in earnest today. So let's look at verse 1. And, and as we look at verse 1, if you have a copy of all of Mark, I want you to look at the section header for verses 1 and 2, the section header for verses 3 through 9, and then the section header for verses 10 and 11. So you see the plot to kill Jesus. It, let's put our mathematical hats on for a second. If you had to say this is a positive thing or a negative thing, which way would you go? Yeah. This, good. That's the theologically correct answer is yes, absolutely. Strictly from the narrative, is this a, like, yeah, let's get on board with that? Or, like, these are evil men doing, yeah, these are evil men doing evil things, right? And then you look at verses 3 through 9, the action of this woman, and you want to go, well, I need more thumbs, right? I mean, this is just gorgeous, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then 10 and 11, well, now we're back to Nick, right? Yes, two thumbs down, that's exactly right. And Mark does this often. He will sandwich a positive in the middle of two negatives. And most theologians believe he is doing this in order to really blow up and magnify how positive the positive is. Because if you've had a day where something went bad, something went good, and something went bad, and you look back and remember, that good looks really, really good because of the bad that was around it. So, don't miss what Mark might be doing here in the arrangement of things, which all kinds of fancy terms for this. We're not going to get into that. All right, so look at verse 1. So it was now two days before the Passover. 
And we could look at that and go, cool. Big whoop, right? Actually, it is. This is a really big deal. And we're going to pause here for a second and talk about calendars, because I know that's what you came to Sunday school today for, is to talk about calendars, but it's time to talk about calendars. So when we think about calendars in our time and space, we live by the Gregorian calendar, right? So January, February, March, all the way to December. How many months of the year? Twelve. How many? How often do we have 12 months of the year? Every year. How crazy would it be if we were like, ah, every once in a while we should just throw an extra one in? <laughs> yeah, like a leap month. Yeah, absolutely, right? And, and this is based off of what celestial event? Like what is happening? Earth goes around the sun, right? There's a solar calendar. Cool. The Jews, not the same concept, right? So this is the Jewish calendar. And superimposed on it, actually inside, is the Gregorian calendar. And I will tell you that this picture is only right about 10 or 15% of the time because the Jewish calendar is constantly moving. The Jewish calendar is based on a lunar cycle. And a lunar cycle has about-ish 28 days in it. It's actually not exactly 28, it's a little off from 28. So if you do 12 months of 28, that's not going to line up perfectly with the earth going around the sun. Your seasons are going to be off very quickly. Not to worry, there is a way to fix this. In the Old Testament, the grain was going to be brought to the priest. And if it was in a certain state before a certain time, an extra month was added to the calendar. And over time, this has been standardized, and six out of every 19 years, you get an extra month added to the calendar. The month of Adar. So you have Adar the first and Adar the second. And if your birthday happens to fall in Adar the second, you're one of those goofy leap month year in the June, like all the wonkiness that comes with that. Now the challenge with this is knowing where this is as it relates to Jewish months and Gregorian months. Because if the Jewish calendar is always shifting, then there's going to be a range of accuracy, but not a high precision level of detail. Every year, this is going to happen here. And if that wasn't complicated enough, when the Jews look at the calendar for the next year and they notice that the high holy days fall on a specific day of the month, a specific day of the week, the wrong day of the week, they shift the calendar by a day to make sure that doesn't happen. So the Jewish calendar can actually have six different numbers of days in a year. Now, if you have ever tried to program anything with a computer, good luck with that, right? This is, this is complicated, this is, but it works shockingly well. The Jews need a leap day once every 216 years. It is shockingly more accurate than the Gregorian calendar. A bit more complicated to keep up with, but it's really, really impressively accurate. So I want us to be aware of that. So that's concept number one, the, the dramatic difference between the two. Concept number two is if you think about how we think about calendars, we think about calendars as there's a past, there's a present, there's a future, straight lines happening, right? We, that's how we kind of think about the past. And it's just everything's nice, neat boxes, here we go. 
the Jewish thought is not quite the same. The Jewish thought is more of a, there's a spiral to the cycle of life and it is going upward toward a very specific event. It is very eschatological in nature. Like we are moving toward something. And different periods of the year are significant because of the uh, feast days, the high holy days, the significant events. Like we look at our calendar and we would say, it's the 12 months, cool. The Jews would look at their calendar and they would say, Important, 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 important. The events are more important than the months, which is why, as you read through the Bible, far more often there will be a reference to the actual event than there will a reference to the month. Does that make sense? And we do this sometimes too, right? Christmas, Thanksgiving. Somebody right now posted somewhere on Facebook how many days it is away till Christmas, right? Cool. Well, the Jews were constantly aware of when things were. So we're two days before Passover, which sounds very precise. Sort of. This might mean two days from today, meaning tomorrow. It might mean two days from the end of today, meaning two days from now. And the Jewish day doesn't look like our day, right? When does our day begin? Our day begins at midnight, right? Midnight, that's the new day begins. There you go, cool. The Jewish day begins, sunset. Remember back to Genesis 1, the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning were the second day, the evening, like God actually defined what a day was. We aren't doing it right. <laughs> so let's just all be aware that weird is actually biblical. So now what I'm not saying is you know, if your boss tells you to show up three hours after the day begins, don't, don't show up at 9 o'clock. That's kind of weird, right? That's kind of odd. But this is the way things are set up. So, in a very real sense, Wednesday morning for us to a Thursday afternoon is one day. In a very real sense to a Jewish person, that's two days. It gets very complicated. So one of the things that you'll quickly learn, and I'm going to pass this around. Um, I love beautiful things. And this is a book from uh, Tim Challies and Josh Byers. Uh, Visual Theology, a guide to the Bible. Some of you are going to like, I do not want to pass it along to the next person because you're going to be consumed with looking at the pictures. There's lots of pretty pictures. There you go. But on page 177 is a, um, I'm blanking. A harmony, thank you. Sometimes I just look at Mitch and I remember the right biblical term. So there's that. He's shockingly helpful for that. He doesn't know this. I tell him periodically, but he's shockingly helpful for this. Um, but this is a really good attempt at harmonizing the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life, across the four Gospels. And they're not always all in tight order. Sometimes things get moved around a little bit, and some Gospels focus far more on one event than another. Um, but verses, uh, one, verse 1 here at least orients us to we're about here, right, in the big cycle. And something big is coming up. So Passover. What is Passover? You thought I was going to talk about Passover. We have to talk about the calendar first, and then we'll talk about what Passover is. So what is Passover? 
feels like something is passing over, right? Yes, that's exactly what happened, right? What passed over? The angel of the Lord, right? And uh, what did the angel do or not do, depending upon what was done or not done? Kill the firstborn, depending upon what your door looked like. And you're like, how are those things connected? Well, it's pointing forward to something that's going to be sacrificial. It's all connected. It's amazing. And then, uh, does anybody know, does anybody know, because in preparation for the Passover, you have to kill a what? You have to kill a lamb. When do you kill the lamb? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the day before you eat it. You kill the lamb the day before you eat it. So, put yourself in first century uh, Jerusalem. The city itself would have swelled in size. Massive, massive numbers of people coming to the city to participate in Passover. Because that's where you could get lambs. This was, think about it, this is economically based. Lots of first century accounts of massive amounts of blood being shed the day before the Passover. There was a whole, in, you know, Eisenhower talked about the military industrial complex. I would, I would argue that you could use the phrase the, uh, the religious industrial complex to describe the temple and what was going on there. Several accounts that the, the water, if it happened to rain that day, the water running out of the city would run, run red because of the blood that had been shed in preparation for the Passover. It was this many lambs. It was unbelievable. So this happens the day before, and this is two days before. So this is either the day they're killing the lambs or the day before they're killing the lambs. So this, is, this puts us in the mindset of where we are. And then it says Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So what's the Feast of Unleavened Bread about? Passover was an easy one. Feast of Unleavened Bread. If you had to guess what the Feast of Unleavened Bread was about. What's that? It's not risen yet. That's exactly right. Something that has not occurred that would normally occur. That's exactly right. This is to remind us that we had to leave quickly and we had to pack for the journey. I don't know. I have baked bread in my life. I actually really enjoy doing it. And uh, it's an inside activity, see? Uh, it's no sweating involved. That's exactly right. And um, that's the other parallel that goes along with that. No outside, I don't sweat. Like if I sweat, it's a bad day. So this is what it is. Um, you guys know this from how many times you've seen me mow my yard. Zero. Zero. Uh, yeah, so Feast of Unleavened Bread, this is about something that you would expect to happen that didn't happen in preparation for something that's reminding you of something in the past. It's actually pointing you to something forward. All this is pointing to Jesus. We'll get to that in a couple of uh, weeks. So this is where we are in the calendar. So two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes, have we seen them pop up so far in the Gospel of Mark? Yes. Yes. Um, if, if Sean McGarvey were going to title verses 1 and 2, Sean would come up with some derivation of haters going to hate. Like that's, that would be, I mean, it's going to be pretty close to that, right? 
they're doing what they have been doing the entire time. Chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. So exactly what Jesus told the disciples was going to happen multiple times is exactly what uh, they are doing here. Now, I do want you to notice that that word for seeking is in the imperfect tense. This is action continually or repeatedly happening in past time, so it's exactly as Jesus described it. So they're, going, they're seeking how to arrest him. This is to seize or to retain. This is to pick up and remove forcefully to another location uh, by stealth. This word stealth shows up one other time in Mark's gospel in chapter 7, verse 22. Jesus is actually listing a series of sins. So in 21, uh, he talks about evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Like, yay, what an awesome list to be part of, right? And this word is smack dab in the middle of that. It's the word for deceit. They're going to arrest him by deceit. And the way that the words are phrased in the original language implies that they knew they had to do it deceitfully. There wasn't a legitimate way to do this. And they were still all in which is so sketchy, right? Like I, I have consciously, deliberately, repeatedly set my mind to do something in a deceitful manner. And these are the religious leaders in place. This is sad. You see this, this dip, and not just at any time of the year. It, in one of the holy days is coming up where... We are going to be focused on the redemption that God gave the people of Israel in the past, pulling them out of this slavery of Egypt. And we're still focused on deceitful. Verse 2, for they said, and this is imperfect as well, they said this repeatedly, not during the feast, not during the festival, lest there be an uproar from the people. So once again, what was guiding their actions? Do you remember back in Mark chapter 6 when we talked about Herod? Who was Herod? Herod was the, the weakest, feeblest leader in the entire gospel of Mark. Herod was terrified of what? Anybody remember what Herod was terrified of? That's exactly right. He wanted everybody to like him. He wanted everybody to think good of him. He wanted his reputation to be good. He was scared of his reputation being drugged through the mud, and he wanted the people to like him. Do you see the similarities here between Herod and these chief priests? And, and it's shockingly sad. It's so sad. So we, we leave verse 2 on this low kind of, ah, seriously, guys, this is bad. It's exactly what some child is experiencing in the lobby right now, right? Um, Sometimes you own the distraction, otherwise the distraction owns you. I will tell you guys, uh, for, if you want to know more about the Jewish holidays, we taught a series in this a couple of years ago. Um, uh, yeah, Jesus and the Jewish holidays. So we went through each holiday, what it is, what it's not, what it's about, and then how it points toward what Jesus has either done in the past or is going to do in the future. Um, talked about all kinds of stuff. So the day, which is... Weird for us, starts in sunset, the week, which is a shockingly arbitrary concept. 
It's not tied to anything other than creation. Like nothing drives the week other than the way God did it. That's how often we needed rest. Cool. Thank you, Lord. That was a wonderful gift, right? There's no solar event. There's no lunar event. There's no astrological event. There's, it's just, that's how often we needed rest. The month is based off of the, uh, the moon. The season is based off of the agriculture in Israel, a very specific place. And then the year is kind of flexible. So there's a lot more flexibility in the Jewish calendar than we would normally think. All right, so let's keep going here. So verse 3. Well, let, me, let me pause. Any questions about any of that? So I don't usually pause for questions, but any questions about the calendar stuff? Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am, Bethany. Well, the, the great question. So the question was, let me see if I can get it right. So did the priests and the scribes have to change the plan a lot because the calendar was constantly moving? I doubt it. Because even right now, the, the forecast is pretty locked in for months at a time. There's only really one point in the year where the priest could alter the calendar. Um, so... I don't think it would have been that difficult. Their whole lives revolved around doing this thing. I'll give you an example. Uh, in the middle, of, I wasn't going to talk about this, but you asked questions, I want to talk about this. Uh, what math classes did you take in high school? Oh, no. <laughs> I blocked it out. You blacked out? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so, so lots of fun stuff, right? You, you, do you know one of the reasons why you took those classes? One of the reasons why you took those classes is actually... Uh, this picture. Because in order to calculate the date of Passover, the Catholic Church had to teach their priests how to have uh, a basic understanding of the movement of the stars so they would know where they were and they could calculate the equinox. Because Passover is the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. I'm not getting a nod. Good. I got a half a thumbs up. That means he's, he thinks it's okay. Close, yeah. So you've got to know something about math, and that's why trigonometry survived in the Middle Ages. Because of that. So you, you, can, you can blame your high school math classes on Passover. Like, that's why it's still around, actually. It's kind of crazy. All right, so did that answer that question? But, like, their whole lives were engaged in this thing. It would have been the same as... I don't know whatever you're an expert in, but somebody asking you a really simple question, like, oh, yeah, I got that. I, I, this is not difficult to do. So, all right, cool. Let's go to verse 3. Oh, that's really good, Cheryl. Cheryl's got a comment. The chief priests and the scribes are like mosquitoes. They're everywhere looking for blood. That was good. You got a collective groan in the room, too. That was fantastic. All right, so verse 3. <clears throat> Jesus is anointed at Bethany. So, verse 3, and while he was at Bethany, where's Bethany? She's right there. That's right. Uh, it's just too easy to make, guys. I'm going to do it every time because she's wonderful. All right, so we've got the temple here. We've got the Mount of Olives here. Bethany is here. This is about a mile. This is not a shocking distance to get 
back to the temple to do what they want to do. They hung out at Bethany. Whose house are they at at Bethany? Simon the leper. Does anybody have a problem with this? What's your problem with this? He's a leper. A lot of people have a problem with this. He wouldn't have been allowed to have guests in a home had he still been a leper. Most people, when they look at this, look at this and say, this is a nickname that hung around because he was either cured of it or it passed in his life. And if Jesus is hanging out with him, maybe Jesus is the one that does this. And I'm purposely got my voice up high like this because I'm not entirely confident of this. This is just kind of what sort of maybe makes sense. So, there you go. The formerly dead, yes, that's exactly right. You, you, you kind of get these, you get, it's going to hang around because that was weird, right? Because <laughs> we're not used to hanging around with a guy that had leprosy. Because that used to be a, no, no, you're out there now. You're excluded from the camp. You're going to be away. But the question I have is, are there any anointing stories in any of the other Gospels? Got a shockingly strong head nod from Bethany here. Yes, there are. And that's exactly the right answer. How many of the other Gospels have anointing stories in them, Bethany? Yes. Yes, good. And oh, you're doing the whole Bible. Good grief. I'm like, I'm going to kick my shoes off and just step back. This is, holy cow. Yes. Let me ask you, let me ask you a partially trick question. How many times was David anointed? You sure? It was more than once. Yeah, it was definitely more than once. We know that. Jesus was anointed more than once, too. So there's an account in Matthew that lines up shockingly similarly to the account in Mark. I mean, these, these two are, it, it would be exceedingly difficult to look at these two things and go, no, that was a different event. There's an account in Luke that takes place way earlier and in a different location in Israel. So we think this is at least a year or two years earlier. And then there's the account in John. And the one in John is the one that bugs me. Because the one in John happened six days before the Passover. Where are we here? Two days before the Passover. But the one in John has some similarities to the one in Mark and the one in Matthew. But it's not exactly the same. Let's head over there for just a second. Let's go to John chapter 12. So verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed, not yet, and anointed uh, the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him. John is the king of parentheticals when talking about Judas. Like he's just, he's going to dig every time. Said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to when was put into it. 
Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, are there any similarities in that account and the one in Mark? Yes, an awful lot, right? What do we not know in Mark's gospel? What's the name of the woman in Mark's gospel? I don't know. When was Mark's gospel written? It was the first. It was written about 50, 52 AD, maybe 20 years after Jesus dies. 20 years after Jesus dies, the woman who anoints Jesus' feet very likely could still be alive. And you write something down that says this person is aligned with Jesus, you're now a co-conspirator in what the Romans would think as an insurrection against them. Mark could have put her life at risk by naming her at that point. John happens decades later. Very likely, Mary's already passed at this point. She, she would have had to have been exceedingly old like John was to have survived that long. Totally different ballgame. But where is Jesus anointed? What part of his body in Mark? His head. And where in John? His feet. Okay. Different. When did it happen in John? Six days before. When did it happen in Mark? Two days before. Okay. If you're going, I'm not really sure. Great. That's where everybody ought to be on this one. I actually think they were two different events. I think Jesus was anointed three different times. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push into, I think, the Bible writers got the dates right, and I'm cool with that. I have said several times, I don't think Mark put everything in order. He specifically calls out a date right here. This pushes me up against a wall from my, I, I believe that he's actually got it right. So let's keep going for just a second. So, but while he was at Bethany, the house of, at the house of Simon the leper, like, would, would you want to stay with somebody that even had leprosy at some point? How many of you would feel just a little, like, I'm a little wonky about that. I don't know. Like, I'm, I think I'd be more picky about my Airbnb before I just like, oh, leprosy? Oh, you checked the leprosy box. Yes, cool. All right. I don't know about that. Yes. Yes. It was, and they're all nasty. Um, and some of them would go away, and some of them would not. Um, but there was only one person that ever showed up that like, touched somebody and it went away. Puts him in a whole different category, right? So there's cool like that. Yes. 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 And so, so I always want to leave, uh, so I am as wide open-handed on this as I can get, right? As wide open as I can get. If you want to reconcile the two, you could say she did both. Mark focused on one, John focused on the other. Cool. Easy reconciliation. Easy reconciliation. Um, maybe. Maybe. But he was reclining at table. This is how meals were eaten. So um, obviously nobody had had their gallbladder removed because that's not how you eat after you've had your gallbladder removed. It does not work that way. Um, personal testimony time. Uh, a woman, so unnamed, 
came with. And this word with is actually a verb, which is not what we think of the word with, but it's a present active participle that she's holding on to, and she's been holding on to it for a minute. And uh, this is actually what we think she was holding on to. Um, the one, <laughs> I might get myself in trouble. The one good thing that's come out of Hobby Lobby uh, is a whole lot of artifacts have come to America to be able to be studied. Some legally, some illegally, I'm not gonna get into all that, but this is actually a picture of a 2,000 2,500 year old alabaster jar. This is what they look like. And inside this thing, you would have put nard. And it is perfect time to stop. So, uh, if I can see it real quick. You can buy, as I did, spikenard, which is a, some type of a plant. It's got a picture of a plant, see? And it's still got the cellophane on it because I have no idea what this smells like. And I am terrified that this is going to stink up this room for like a month and Daryl's going to kick us out of here and we'll never get to come back in. So it's going to stay in the plastic until next Sunday, Lord willing, when we will open it up near the door, should it not smell good, where it can waft out and go somewhere else. So I'm going to put it down here. And we will start next week, Lord willing, with the alabaster flask and the spike nerd, and we will try to make our senses maybe actually smell something that Jesus smelled, which I think is kind of cool. So we'll stop there. So thanks for coming to Sunday School today, you guys. Uh, let's take a look at our, you should have your weekly update on the table. So please make sure your names are at the bottom, that you have updated any prayer requests. Uh, and then lean in, engage, and pray over some section of those. And after you have prayed, you are dismissed to go and to worship this one who is anointed more than once and is worthy of being anointed more than once. But that and even that was pointing toward his death for us so that we could be with him, even though the sin that separated us, just like leprosy, would separate an individual from the camp, seemed unsurmountable, unsurmountable to uh, close that gap. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So I'll leave you to it. Pray at your tables and then you're dismissed. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.